a prayer before study. Ineffable creator, who from the treasures of your wisdom have established three hierarchies of angels, have arrayed them in marvelous order above the fiery heavens, and have marshaled the regions of the universe with such artful skill. You are proclaimed the true font of light and wisdom, and the primal origin raised high beyond all things. Pour forth a ray of your brightness into the darkened places of my mind. Disperse from my soul the twofold darkness into which I was born, sin and ignorance. You make eloquent the tongues of infants. Refine my speech and pour forth upon my lips the goodness of your blessing. Grant to me keenness of mind, capacity to remember, skill in learning, subtlety to interpret, and eloquence in speech. May you guide the beginning of my work, direct its progress, and bring it to completion. You who are true God and true man, who live and reign, world without end. Welcome to Old Books with Grace. I'm Dr. Grace Hammond, medievalist scholar and bandwagon Phoenix Suns fan. Though to be fair to myself, I was rooting for Charles Barkley and the Suns back in the 90s. So I'm not a complete bandwagon fan. <laughs> We're in a funny in-between phase for our various series on Old Books with Grace. A few weeks ago, we finished the Lent series, The Many Faces of Jesus. And I encourage you to go check those out if you haven't listened. In June, we're doing something new, fun, and different. Something a little bit more lighthearted to celebrate, um, hopefully, being together once again. The Old Book Club, starring Jane Austen's Persuasion. Each week, I'm going to have a different friend of mine come on the podcast with me. And we'll discuss three chapters of Jane Austen's incredible novel, at a time. Um, I'm hoping that you will read along and invite a friend or two to read with you. Um, I think it'd be really cool to have a bunch of folks reading Persuasion together and um, thinking about it as a community. So we'll see what happens with that. Today, we're going to meditate on a really beautiful poem by the 17th century poet Henry Vaughan. Vaughan was a Welshman living during the tumultuous time of the English Civil War. So Henry and his twin brother Thomas were born in about 1621. Henry became a physician and Thomas an Anglican priest. In the 1640s, the Book of Common Prayer, which is the Anglican um, worship book, was banned by the Puritans who were in power at that time. And in 1645, Archbishop Laud was executed by Cromwell. So there was a ton of religious upheaval going on, lots of violence, um, lots of confusion. And by 1655, Anglican services themselves were entirely illegal. Henry Vaughan was a devout Anglican and living during this time, and his poetry really reflects this sense of loss and his attempts to establish communion with the Anglican poets who came before him, especially George Herbert, who's one of my personal favorites. So 
So during the same period of time, Vaughn married, had four children, and then his wife, Catherine, died. So it was bad, both um, personally and on a large scale for him. Yet, Vaughn writes some of the most beautiful, stunning verse of this period. Saturated in nature in the Welsh countryside, he finds God outside of the traditional places and spaces which have been barred to him. His great collection of poetry, Silex Scintillans, is united through exploring sources of community and identity as a Christian when the earthly wells of his community and identity, Anglican corporate worship services, have been outlawed and destroyed. And not to diminish the seriousness of what I've just said, but um, this poetry collection, Silex Scintillans, has one of the most awful subtitles of all time, Private Ejaculations. Yes, I am not making that up. It is sadly true. The Night, one of my favorite poems of Vaughn's, is inspired by John chapter 3, verse 2. The Pharisee Nicodemus seeks out Jesus at night to ask him questions. Nicodemus's nighttime excursion leads to some of the most foundational teachings of Jesus, which in itself is amazing if you think about it. In this private conversation, this quiet nighttime interlude, Jesus tells Nicodemus what becomes John 3.16, maybe the most famous verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Yes, these words were not spoken on a mountaintop or in a house of worship, but in this midnight interlude between two friends. So let's turn to Vaughn's meditation on Nicodemus and Jesus. The Night by Henry Vaughn John 3-2 Through that pure virgin shrine, that sacred veil drawn o'er thy glorious noon, that men may look and live as glowworms shine and face the moon, wise Nicodemus saw such light as made him know his God by night. Most blessed believer he, who in that land of darkness and blind eyes, thy long-expected healing wings could see when thou didst rise. And what can never more be done, did at midnight speak with the sun? Oh, who will tell me where he found thee at that dead and silent hour? What hallowed solitary ground did bear so rare a flower, within whose sacred leaves did lie the fullness of the deity? No mercy seat of gold, no dead and dusty cherub, nor carved stone, but his own living works did my Lord hold and lodge alone, where trees and herbs did watch and peep and wonder while the Jews did sleep. Dear night, this world's defeat, the stop to busy fools, Cares check and curb, the day of spirits, my soul's calm retreat which none disturb, Christ's progress and his prayer time, the hours to which high heaven doth chime. 
God's silent, searching flight. When my Lord's head is filled with dew and all his locks are wet with the clear drops of night, his still soft call, his knocking time, the soul's dumb watch when spirits their fair kindred catch. Were all my loud evil days calm and unhaunted, as is thy dark tent, whose peace but by some angel's wing or voice is seldom rent, then I in heaven all the long year would keep and never wander here. But living where the sun doth all things wake, and where all mix and tire themselves and others, I consent and run to every mire, and by this world's ill-guiding light, ere more than I can do by night. There is in God, some say, a deep but dazzling darkness, as men here say it is late and dusky, because they see not all clear. Oh, for that night, when I and him might live invisible and dim. There's a lot to think about in this really rich, dense poem, so I thought we could walk through it together slowly and consider it. Back to the first stanza. Through that pure virgin shrine, that sacred veil drawn o'er thy glorious noon, that men might look and live as glowworms shine and face the moon. Wise Nicodemus saw such light as made him know his God by night. So Vaughn begins with this really beautiful picture of the incarnation through a metaphor of night and day. Through Mary, the virgin shrine, a sacred veil is drawn over the incandescent glory of high noon. This veil obscures and muffles the unbearable blinding brightness of the sun at midday so that people can actually look at and face a source of light, the moon's gentler brightness that illuminates darkness. Divinity becomes flesh and blood. The sun becomes the moon. It makes itself approachable and visible. We are able to look at it with our naked eyes. As a result, Nicodemus can see and know God face to face. Most blessed believer he who in that land of darkness and blind eyes, thy long expecting, expected healing wings could see when thou didst rise. And what can never more be done did at midnight speak with the sun. Nicodemus was blessed because he could directly witness the sun's descent and ascent, the incarnation, the crucifixion, and the resurrection. Vaughn also delightfully puns on the last two lines. Nicodemus speaks at midnight with the sun, S-U-N, impossible. He also speaks at midnight face-to-face with the sun, S-O-N, also not done anymore with perhaps a few rare exceptions of some mystical writers. The next few stanzas hint at Vaughn's predicament where he really identifies with Nicodemus. It's not among the traditional places of worship that Nicodemus finds Jesus and speaks with him, not among the dusty cherubs, carved stone, or mercy seats. Um, And mercy seats are both the carved adornment at the top of the Ark of the Covenant, where the presence of God rested in the Old Testament, 
Um, but also some English churches had something different, also called mercy seats, sometimes called misery cords, where you could lean. Um, it was like a chair that folded back and had this little ledge and you could lean on them if you were standing, um, praying a long time. So again, we see a double meaning here. Jesus walks instead of of being in these places of traditional worship among his living works. He's described as a flower hiding divinity in solitary ground. And his people sleep while only the trees and herbs watch and peep. Such a dense forest of illusions here. Vaughn is artfully referring to time past and time present. Jesus has come outside of the Holy of Holies into the world of nature. Vaughn glances ahead of this moment with Nicodemus to Jesus praying in Gethsemane. When the whole world, even Jesus' best friends, are asleep rather than with him in his pain. And Vaughn looks even further ahead into his own time. When Vaughn himself has been barred from these same dusty cherubs and mercy seats and carved stone, his beloved parish church and Anglican communal worship. But Jesus does not have to be found there. I love what Vaughn does next with his imagery of night and day. We all know of the ancient associations of night with fear, ignorance, despair, danger, evil doing, etc., As someone who has struggled with anxiety and insomnia in the past, I have very frequently dreaded the night, as I'm sure many of you have. And Vaughn turns this age-old imagery upside down. Dear night, this world's defeat, the stop to busy fools, cares check and curb, the day of spirits, my soul's calm retreat, which none disturb. Christ's progress in his prayer time, the hours to which high heaven doth chime. God's silent searching flight, when my Lord's head is filled with dew and all his locks are wet with the clear drops of night, his still soft call, his knocking time, the soul's dumb watch, when spirits their fair kindred catch. Night in these stanzas has been transformed into a relief instead of a fearful necessity. Night offers a check and curb to the busyness, the bustle, the never-ending distractions and demands of the day. The silence gives space and retreat to the soul. The night is naturally Christ's progress, Christ's prayer time, one of the few times when he's alone the time when the stars of heaven proclaim his glory. And Vaughn gives us a lovely picture of Jesus. He describes him as if he has been praying at night peacefully in a garden for long hours in stillness and darkness. He's been still in silence so long that his hair is wet with dew. He's become part of the garden. And nighttime is also Jesus' knocking time, a phrase that I like a lot. The time when the soul is finally silent enough to hear his still soft call. 
Vaughn then compares his loud, evil days to this quiet, dark tent of God. I'd imagine that if you have young children like me, you can specially relate to the phrase, loud, evil days. (laughs) Some days it feels like all I do is get frustrated um, and forget things in the chaos, especially the noisy chaos of my house. Mired in business, weary of unending to-do lists, depressed by the state of the United Kingdom and its people. Vaughn laments his distractedness and wandering during the day. But then he ends with the most beautiful meditative image of the poem. There is in God, some say, a deep but dazzling darkness as men here say it is late and dusky because they see not all clear. Oh, for that night when I and him might live invisible and dim. Vaughn's deep but dazzling darkness reminds me of an anonymous medieval contemplative writer who wrote an incredible work called The Cloud of Unknowing. And it's about this contemplative path to God. This writer describes how in order to get closer to God, we must ascend into a cloud of unknowing. That is, abandon all our preconceived expectations and images of who God is, what we think we really know, and how he works in order to open ourselves to his presence as fully as possible. The unthinkable, indescribable, incomprehensible, dazzling darkness of God. Who can understand him? And Vaughn thinks of this in the dead of night, but not with fear or apprehension. This deep but dazzling darkness in which he wishes to become invisible and dim is in stark contrast to the glaring, headache-inducing brightness of the day in which he has no rest or peace. I have this funny image in my head of being wrapped in black velvet in a cocoon of closeness and quietude that grounds me and hides me from the things that consume me by day. Next time you are awake at night in bed, especially if you are feeling fearful or lonely, let that enveloping darkness be a welcome comfort, especially if you struggle with anxiety or feel completely burdened by the works of the day. Think of Vaughn and Nicodemus. Take refuge in the utter mystery of God's deep but dazzling darkness by rejecting the need for busyness, for explanations, for mastering and controlling the world around you. Await Jesus at his knocking time, with his hair damp from the night air, I hope you liked hearing this poem as much as I like sharing it. Share with a friend if you enjoyed it. Or leave a comment or review. I love to hear from you. You can see the text of this podcast at oldbookswithgrace.com. Thank you for listening.